C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yerke. And once again, we are joined by a very esteemed guest, Olivia Christian. Hi. Hello to you. Hi, I'm giggling at esteem. <laughs> um, Olivia is a brand strategist and facilitator of the Own Your Story. Uh, shall we say it's like a workshop? Yeah, 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 it's workshop. Um, and I had previously spoken about it on a previous um, episode of this podcast when I attended the workshop at the Girl Boss Rally in New York, and it was an amazing, transformative experience. Um, so hopefully, we'll get into that a little bit later. But just to begin, Olivia, before we go into the segments, so people can get used to your voice, maybe say um, how old you are, um, what you do now, and any other, give your elevator pitch, as it were. <laughs> Hey, I'm Olivia Christian, and I am 40 years old. Um, when I got an invitation to be on the show, I believe you guys wrote something like, uh, we know that you're not an actual millennial. And I was like, how did they know that I'm not an actual millennial? <laughs> My skincare routine is not stepped up to that. Whatever. Um, I'm 40. I am from the Bay Area. I live in San Francisco. And what I do now is mainly work with nonprofits and female-led companies on brand strategy. I help create videos, podcasts, events, um, websites with messaging. And um, as Maddie said, I, I do Own Your Story, that workshop, and I've been sharing it across the country for a little over a year now, very specifically over a year now. Awesome. And you also have your own podcast, right? Yeah, it's actually a show that I host on YouTube. It's called The Game Last Night. Uh, it's a sports talk show. I talk to fans and athletes and coaches and all types of people to talk sports, all kinds of sports from all across the country. It's my self-funded side hustle, which means it makes me poor, but I love it. It's fun. <laughs> we hear you. We love it too. And yeah. we should say for the listeners, if you hear some ambient noise, Olivia, because she's so busy and important, is in an airport right now. So <laughs> thank you for bearing with us and yeah. Olivia for... Uh, joining us amidst your busy travel schedule. I've been following you on Instagram and it seems like you've been doing own your story all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. I um, I really think of own your story as a blessing. The impact it has had on attendees. It's beyond what I thought. Like I just love doing it and I was encouraged to share it um, after sharing at a, at a conference in 2017. A number of women came up to me and they're like, you should really do this for a living. And I've been sharing it for years with clients when they would get new interns or board members, being able to talk about what you do and why you do it, why it's important to you I'm on the emotional level, not just like I went to school for this and then I worked here, but like why and what do you want the audience to gain um, from you sharing your story? Are you looking for subscribers, followers, clients, customers, whatever that is? Um, when I go through the workshop, I make sure that women really name it. They own what it is they want because they don't know what resources are in the room. And um, so again, I, I'd been sharing it with clients. And when I shared it at a conference, 
just for women in, in 2017, they were like, you should do this more purposefully. And I decided to not talk myself out of a compliment <laughs> <laughs> and um, was like, all right, how do I find women all over the country and share this? That's and that's awesome. what I've been doing, getting on airplanes and going wherever they'll have me. That's awesome. awesome. Well, shall we dive in to our millennial moments? Shay, do you have a millennial moment for us? I I do have a millennial moment. Uh, my millennial moment is that uh, I was mentioning this a little bit earlier off um, mic to our guest and love the lovely Maddie. I was having just a very poor day of adulting <laughs> today, and it was um, I got back really late last night from LA, and I was just like, all of a sudden it clicked that everything that every plan I had for today was just not going to work out the way that I thought it was going to. And I was like, I am not going to get anything accomplished. I'm not going to be able to do the stuff around the house that I did. Although I will say that I like made up for it by doing like six loads of laundry because I felt like that at least, you Feels know, uh, would felt productive and would like re I don't know, reinvigorate me. It didn't. I just now have six loads of laundry to fold. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and it was like the communication was off because Mercury's in retrograde and believing in Mercury in retrograde is a very millennial thing. Uh, so I just felt like I could not get anything accomplished today. And I had so many things that I needed to accomplish that um, I'm just chalking it up to my millennial moment and failing at adulting, which given that I am an ancient millennial, I feel like I generally have less of those days where I'm like, I can't adult, but today was definitely one of those days. Hmm. Happens to the best of us. I know. Um, I've been having an equally like trash fire time. I'm going to um, Columbia on Thursday, which is very exciting. I'm visiting a friend. I've never been there. Um, Wow. And yeah, I'm really excited. Um, And so I've been like trying to do laundry and like prepare for that. And In the midst of that happening on Friday, my boss gave notice and she's leaving this Friday, meaning from the time she gave notice to when she's leaving, because I'm going on vacation, we only have three days. So it's just been like since yesterday and today, like I obviously have all of my normal work to do at work, but then it's also been like meetings with her to figure out like, what is the team structure? Like, what are her tasks that need to transition to other people on the team? And I just have like gotten nothing done. So unfortunately and I try not to do this like I try to have the boundary but I'm gonna have to do work like work work after this and I'm not looking forward to it and to kind of tie it back to the own your story thing like you know I feel like anytime in a work environment when there's kind of a vacuum of leadership or someone's leaving it's I'm trying to like be optimistic and look at it as an opportunity to elevate my own position and seeing if there's other opportunities for me and so I feel like I've just had a series of meetings the past couple of days where I've been like, this is what my strengths are. If you want to ask me where I see myself in the company, this is what I want to do. So it's been a lot of telling my story over and over again. So it's been good practice. So fingers crossed something comes of it. And I came in on Monday and actually have a boss because right now I don't know who my new boss is going to be. So it's all very uncertain. And like I was talking to a friend about it and like I only graduated from college three years ago I feel like it's been a lifetime and I've had five direct managers quit on me and I feel like that's a lot I don't know if that's just a factor of like the job markets getting better or just like millennials in general job hop a lot more but I was like I feel like that's a lot of people I feel like once I am just getting used to someone 
you would be concerned? A little concerned, yeah. Well, now I'm starting to, I'm like, am I just the world's worst employee and no one wants to manage me and they all quit? No, I don't think <laughs> that's, that's, where, that's where my head went, but I, I don't think that's likely. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> like they all like, leave for um, different reasons. I, I was going to say that I think it is millennial moment in that and moment in, in work and employment history. It's just, you know, people aren't working at a company for 30, 40 years anymore. We got our job out of college and then we retire that doesn't happen. It's going to be like bouncing around. So I wouldn't take it personally. But also, I think it's probably a, an opportunity for you to think like, what are the reasons each of these managers are giving for leaving? And then, um, you know, find out if that would be a reason why you would leave as well. Or if yeah. there's an opportunity for you to, you know, slide in there and do that job better. Right. That's kind of where I'm thinking, because I've only been this is my second job out of college. So I was somewhere for two years and then I've been here for about a year. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to so a lot of the managers that I previously mentioned that had left were at my old job and it was a situation where like they were leaving because it was like a little bit of a sinking ship situation so then I ended up following suit but at this company it's like my boss is going to work for someone who used to work at our company so she's not necessarily leaving because this company Mm. is terrible or it's a bad situation it's just she is working for someone who she works really well with so it makes sense for her um so in that aspect, like, I don't know if it really makes sense for me to leave, but I think there's a big opportunity for me to try to take on some of her responsibilities and to elevate myself. It's just hard to do that when you're like, oh, I already have a full-time day job. So that's why I'm like trying to balance all of that with going on vacation. I'm like, oh, this is like the worst week for this to happen. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, Olivia, do you have a millennial slash Gen X moment for us? <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm Technically, you're only like two years outside of the... Yeah, you're very cusp. You're very much on the cusp. Yeah. Um, so my millennial moment, I think, has to do with the fact that I'm still in a phase of my life working as an independent contractor, you know, sole proprietor, what have you, chasing down paychecks. And I feel like millennials are, you know, they have lots of different jobs, um, but you potentially have some side hustles. But getting paid is the hardest thing and the worst thing to have to ask for. Mm-hmm. Like I am getting, I feel really comfortable in my ability and I'm getting emails and requests to come, like I said, all over the country and speak. But especially when I'm working with large organizations, they seem like, oh yeah, we'll pay you, you know, eventually. And I'm like, I can't afford to just be plane hopping and staying yeah. in hotels and you guys just kind of take it easy this on when you're going to pay me. Right. So in that regard, I feel like a kid still. even though I'm 40 I'm like I need the paycheck sorry yeah I think definitely like I've dealt with that like I'm in the finance department of the company that I work for and it's totally like sometimes we'll have you know smaller independent contractors or people come in and you know if their payment terms are net 30 like they're gonna get paid on the 29th day unless they call and follow up and stuff and get their thing to the top of the line or if they know someone at the company that's the only way it'll be less than the 29th day (laughs) so and even sometimes then like we're late and we're a big enough company where we can pay the late fee but for someone like yourself you know it's cool to have that late fee but it's also like there's a cash flow issue in there as well (laughs) like you need to get paid so I totally hear you yeah yeah 
Yeah. Um, Olivia, we can connect uh, off the pod at some point, but I also do speaking and workshops and uh, I'm an entrepreneur and career coach and this is the story of my life. So I feel yeah. your pain and it's, <laughs> I think, you know, it's so hard because you're, it's, and it becomes such this pull between like, it's so great to have that paycheck, but then it's so great to be able to do something that is fulfilling and also pays the bills. It's just getting those bills paid sometimes is a little slower than, than we'd like, but that is definitely a millennial plight. I think, uh, no matter what your where you are in the spectrum. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, switching gears, Shay, do you have a toasty campfire for the group to discuss? Yeah, I mean, it's just a little, I, so I recently signed up, the New York Times does a millennial specific newsletter, which actually my dad turned me on to. So shout out to my dad, um, which by the way, Maddie, he is ready to be a guest. Oh, great. Amazing. Heads up. Put that on so, uh, <laughs> so uh, there was a, issue, or a newsletter a few weeks ago um, by this young man Ian Cavaney and it's the title was millennials are putting off having kids we already have two uh, and I thought it was really interesting because he talks about how he and his wife had their firstborn when they were 25 and how difficult that was because they didn't really have a community around them because they lived in an urban area where there weren't other people their age with kids um etc cetera, etc cetera. but I thought was really interesting was um like Sometimes I feel like millennials talk about something, and this is me like kind of being rude to my own generation, but they act like we're the first people to ever go through these things. And I'm like, no, like becoming this is what happens when you become a parent, whether you're 25 yeah. or 35. I feel or like that's 45. been something difficult about this podcast is like trying to parse through mm-hmm. like what's an experience that yeah. is truly millennial and what's just something that like people between the ages of 22 and 35 face. You know what I mean? Yes. Exactly. So he talks about, uh, I just thought this particular bit was interesting. Uh, He says, going out to dinner, running to the store, spontaneous road trips, even hosting game nights, all of it suddenly became far more complicated. Our friends quickly discovered that we were no longer free at the drop of a hat. If we were to be involved, our get-togethers had to be thoroughly planned often a week or more in advance. And I was like, (laughs) planning something a week in advance is not out of the ordinary man like come on (laughs) this is no nothing special because you have kids this is again just that transition from living the college life where you are living in a dorm or the graduate school life where you can just pick up and you know do whatever at the drop of a hat to to being an adult so I think I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was a little bit funny and also again that as Maddie said the question that we're always parsing out of what is truly definitive of our generation and what is just gets thrown under that rug because it's what's happening to young people yeah Yeah, I think every every generation feels like they're the first Mm -hmm. and obviously there are certain aspects of every generation that is the first um you know women's lib um Jim Crow you know my parents were raised in segregation and desegregation desegregation they, when they went to high school that's when segregation mm-hmm. ended so like wow. their parents had no perspective as to what it was going to be like for them to go to school with different races of people um so yeah I mean there's examples of that and 
I grew up in the 80s, 90s, and having a personal computer was like, ooh, who's got a computer on the block? Mm-hmm. And it slowly became more mainstream. And, you know, millennials grew up, everybody had it. You know, like it's a, every generation has their thing, um, either socially or technology-wise, that the previous one didn't have. But in general, like you said, Shay, like, you know, growing into adulthood where your best friends don't live next door, everyone mm-hmm. has experienced that. Yeah. Um, you can't just knock on the door and go bike riding. That's not likely to happen anymore. But um, yeah, I think that article is pretty funny that a week in advance is. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was like, <laughs> oh I, my, who, my whole life, my whole life is like, I just want to plan things in advance, please. I've been <laughs> like this since I was like 15. So this is not anything new here. <laughs> yeah. But um all right, Maddie, do you have a Toasty Campfire topic? Yes, well, it's it's mostly an article recommendation, um, which I'll briefly talk through. I just thought it was interesting, kind of tying a lot of stuff together. So it's a BuzzFeed article, and it's an opinion piece, and it's called Influencers Aren't the Problem, They're Just Trying to Make It in a Broken System. And then the kind of sub subject under that is, Our culture demands young people show hustle, but if we mess up, our failures are broadcast to the world like a modern-day Enron scandal. And I thought this was an interesting article we had talked about in previous episodes, kind of these big frauds like the Fire Festival and Elizabeth Holmes with Theranos, which I just started watching the HBO documentary that came out this weekend about her, which the first half of it is very good. Um, and this article is talking about a lot of these influ- Instagram influencers that started out either doing it as a marketing tool for their personal business and became influencers that way. Um, or it was just, you know, they had a photography business on the side and it just took off. So either like purposeful marketing or just a side hustle taking off and what that means when something that's a passion project turns into your job and how much pressure that is. And how do you turn something that's maybe a little bit, quote unquote, unprofessional into your professional life. And then they talked about there's been a number of Instagram influencers who have gotten in trouble for saying the wrong thing or, you know, not, this is part of the article that I thought was really interesting talking about if you're working at a startup or building your own personal entrepreneur business, um, there's a certain point in time where you're either self-funding or you have investors where it's kind of like the prototype phase where you're like, I'm going to try a bunch of stuff out. I'm going to see what sticks. And if you're an Instagram influencer or someone in the public eye, that sort of prototyping takes place in front of potentially millions of people. So what does that happen? What does that mean when, you know, you're an Instagram influencer and you're trying to leverage that to um, start your own conference or start your own live um, production company and you have no business experience and you're failing in front of the world? And what does that look like? And I think both kind of that. The first part that I talked about, about millennials trying to turn everything into a hustle, passion projects have to be monetized, things like that, I thought was very interesting. And then also, you know, what happens when you aren't given that leeway as a young person or someone that's just starting out in their career to make mistakes and how that can really set you back. So I'd highly recommend it. BuzzFeed influencers aren't the problem. If you Google that, it'll come up. So I don't know if either of you guys have kind of thoughts on those themes. I mean, I have a couple different thoughts and it's kind of things that we've talked about before. And I think, first of all, for those young influencers who get in trouble because they don't have the business skills, I mean, I think that they're, you know, they're the scandal unless 
they, you know, some of the larger scandals we've talked about. But on a small scale, I think nobody notices because that, I mean, their work is very ephemeral, right? So there's that. But I also think there's this flip side of when you're talking about wanting to monetize everything, um, you know, it happens, I think, because we've talked about this before, and Olivia, probably, I'm sure you get this all the time. Um, you know, you post something on Instagram, you do a story, and you just start living your best life, right? And the question you, the story, you, the question you want to get is, Olivia, please tell me about the Own Your Story workshop. But the question you actually get is, Olivia, what lipstick are you wearing? Olivia, where'd you get that, that top? And so you don't want to be an influencer necessarily maybe I haven't actually checked out your Instagram yet so please forgive me it's very good Uh, everyone should do it (laughs) yeah exactly but this also happens on my own Instagram constantly so when and if and when an opportunity comes up to monetize some of these things whether it's with an affiliate link or whatever you kind of can't yeah it's very tempting say no you know yeah well Thank you for admitting that I haven't been to my Instagram. You know, there are millions upon millions of people who have never been to my Instagram. So don't be shocked when you see. <laughs> I'm going to look at like it right the, now, actually. The four or 500 people that are following me. But I'll say, you know, the reason why there are, the potential reason why there are so few who do follow me, it, it is because I've been purposeful at trying to um, make my page about the people that I talk to mm-hmm. at my workshops. I don't have a lot of pictures of like, this is what I had for brunch and this is me putting makeup on. And as a result, I don't get a lot of inquiries into like, what lipstick are you wearing? Where's that dress from? Now, part of my appearance is part of the story that I tell at my workshop. I'm a tomboy. I've been a tomboy forever. Um, But I grew into pairing that with being kind of a girly girl. I do like to wear my dresses and lipstick when I got older and knew that I could be both. I didn't have to be one or the other. So I, I do look a little dressed up on my Instagram when there are pictures of me when I'm in between workshops. But I do think that broadening it out beyond me, you know, it, it could be something that you learn as you get older. But what you put out in the world, um, especially in this day and age, I think everyone just needs to be conscious of how it can be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want things to be genuine and authentic to who you are. And that's not going to vibe with everyone. And that's OK. And you can't be like too like, is everyone going to love me? Because you post mm-hmm. nothing. Um but um, if you are trying to be seen as, as for example, um, a great photographer, I don't need to know what you had for brunch then. Let's mm-hmm. see you maybe taking pictures of other people's brunch if you're a food photographer. Like, there's a way to showcase who you are without putting yourself in a place where um, you look like you're thirsty for monetization. Yeah. Now, if you are looking for monetization, I think it's important to just be upfront about it. Mm-hmm. and say like, yay, look what I got. I got this free cream. I'm going to tell you guys. I'm... And the people who look for that online will go to you. They'll gravitate mm-hmm. and say like, I want to look like her or him. So I'll do that. But when you mix it together is when I think you can fall uh, in trouble with folks. You know, you know your followers or if you get yeah. picked up by other media, like, hey, she seems inauthentic. Where did she? Where did this come from? All of a sudden she's selling me something. Um but I think just, you know, being consistent, being thoughtful about how it could be perceived, you know, weighing that against mm-hmm. authenticity of who you are before you post. Yeah, yeah I agree. I sure. think it, it depends and, you know, tying it back to what you do professionally, Olivia, like figuring out 
you know, obviously everyone is super multifaceted and sometimes you do get those unsolicited requests that maybe you thought you were posting something that was about this and someone thought that it was a thirst trap photo or something and it totally, that wasn't your intention. Um, And I think if you're starting out in your career, it can be really enticing to try to follow the money. And I think what you do really well, Olivia, is figuring out like, what are the goals and how do you convey those goals to other people? Because sometimes your goals are so apparent to you and you feel like you're putting them out into the world in a very specific way. And it's just not being construed that way by the general public. So I think that's something where hiring a business coach or, you know, having going to a workshop like Own Your Story can be really valuable for people that struggle with that online. It's just like when you get text messages, you read things or you um, interpret things in the mindset that you have. So like if I'm in a bad mood and I get a text from someone and it's really kind of basic and I'm like, are they, they're trying to come at me right now? Like that's my, my own interpretation. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just want to know if you like mayonnaise. Like yeah. that's yeah. impressive. <laughs> and by the way, I don't like mayonnaise for mm-hmm. listeners. Good but um, <laughs> it's the same thing with social media. And again, with Instagram as our example, if you're looking to be upset or if someone's online looking to call out folks, you're always going to get those kind of trolls and stuff. But when you're grounded in your authenticity and what your goals are for the content that you're presenting, hopefully you're able to let those things kind of roll off your back and using as a learning experience potentially, but also like getting closer and closer to honing in on the goals you have for the people who get to your page. With my workshop, I put, at least I attempt to put people in a position, women specifically, to be allies and resources for each other. So I'm not gonna then go on my Instagram page and be like, aren't I the best? Like, no, I want all of you to feel like you're the best. So I'm going to put pictures of you. Um, So those things have to match, I think. And that's what I would suggest for folks who find themselves, you know, um, being scrutinized. Yeah. I love that. Love that. Well, Olivia, do you have a toasty campfire topic or hot topic for the group to discuss? Well, it's pretty general. Like, it's not an article in specific that I read because I think there were like 100 articles written about it. But, um, Kylie Jenner being promoted or thought of as a, a self-made billionaire. Oh, yeah. mm. I roll. So a lot of That's debate about what self-made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And that, you know, the thing is like this whole self-made billionaire thing is way beyond Kylie, right? Our current president mm-hmm. is like, so call himself a self-made billionaire and um, they're, they exist, but you know, starting on third base and saying you hit a home run is, I think, a sign of the times. People not acknowledging privilege or the necessity of other people getting you where you're going. Mm -hmm. You can't be a self-made billionaire if no one's buying your product. Mm -hmm. So all of us help to be a billionaire to all the billionaires in the world. But that's just been like a constant trend on Twitter and, you know, some articles on, on the root or Jezebel and Buzzfeed, like what is self-made exactly? Yeah. How do you define it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's really interesting that you bring that up, Olivia, because it's something I've been contemplating, not in the context of Kylie Jenner, because I, I'm not a Kardashian follower. I wish them nothing but good things, but I don't really know too much about them. Uh, but recently, um, I'm in an online networking group, and one of the people in the group came on and was being really negative about um, a woman called Marie Forleo, who she's been on like Oprah and stuff. I don't know if you are familiar with her, um, but she's pretty big in like the personal development 
space and she does a copywriting workshop and like an entrepreneur workshop that uh, she sells twice a year and they're like a big deal and she makes a ton of money. And basically this guy came in the group and was like, and first of all, I got annoyed that this guy is even in the group because it's supposed to be a women's only group, but somehow like some dudes Another topic of discussion, yeah. That's that's a whole (laughs) nother thing. But what it distilled down to was like, do we have to be wary of Ms. Forleo because she comes from a place of privilege? Now, she doesn't come from a place of huge privilege. Um, You know, I think her family was working class, et cetera. But like once she got started doing her coaching and developing these courses, she got investment. And I guess her partner is very rich and also invested in her business. But somehow in the context of this online conversation, and this is what I was like, oh, I Facebook comments are scary. (laughs) Um, But, you know, people were so down on her and I happen to be a fan of hers because I think the content that she puts out is very high quality and very educational Um, but I would never demean someone particularly another woman for the way they got their start Uh, so I thought it was a really interesting conversation and it was really funny to me that we're that we were so that this group was so focused on bashing her when the real conversation is how can we lift or that we should be having in my opinion is how can we lift up people who don't have those advantages? You know, that's where I think we should be spending our energy instead of wasting our time talking about what is a self-made billionaire? Who cares? You know? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good points there. I also think it reminds me of a class that I took in college with a professor and he kind of framed it and he was like, you know, the concept of self-made and why that is like such a meritful thing in America. You know, everyone, even if you came from nothing, like sometimes part of the struggle, you know, I think sometimes we romanticize struggle a little bit in this country and in our society. But even if you come from struggle or a place of not privilege, like everyone had parents, everyone had inspiration in their life. And, you know, I'm not trying to compare that to Kylie Jenner, but I think part of it is like a mindset thing of, you know, sometimes rich people are devoid of morals and people that give you morals, that is a start and no one exists in a vacuum pretty much. And I thought, Olivia, your point about, you know, the customers of these people matters as well and what they mean to the larger conversation, not necessarily about them. And I think the Kylie Jenner thing is really interesting because outside of her marketing of her product, like I've never really seen a sit down interview with her to like understand her business or her thought process. Like obviously she's on the reality show. So she's public because of that. But I would actually like to see maybe like someone do a piece of investigative journalism on her to understand, you know, is she just a face of a product and she has all these people working behind her and they're using this like self-made billionaire conversation to further propel the brand or is she actually someone that used her place of privilege as a jumping off point higher than most people would be able to start to create this product and she actually is a visionary with the makeup I don't know that's where I'm kind of interested I feel like the self-made thing is a little reductive and I wish the people who maybe wrote these articles that were like obviously she isn't self-made had maybe dug into what makes her company special and so successful and I'm sure that stuff is out there so that's kind of where my head's at 
It's probably a little bit of both, right? I mean, there's like we just kind of acknowledged she can't be a billionaire. She doesn't have customers. And to be able to reach customers, you've got to have people behind you that are putting things together. And celebrities or athletes or you know just famous people for whatever reason they're famous, you know, when you lend your name to something, I, I can't imagine any of them are actually in the lab testing this stuff, right? Yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> they're, the, they're on the marketing side of things. It's their personality, their persona. And then they have people that they can hire who created maybe even similar products for somebody else, but now this one has a different label on it. Right. So like I, I think especially with um, cosmetics, it's very much the same. A lot of companies, they all make it in one place. They charge you fifty dollars for the foundation here and then six dollars at Walgreens. And it's the <laughs> same stuff. <laughs> but that's capitalism. But I, I think it's OK. I think it's important to have both layers of the conversation that you guys mentioned. Um, I think young people, I mean, younger than millennials, if you're a teenager, what have you, you can get lost in the in the. Um, the shine of stuff like, oh, wow, like, she's a billionaire or anybody is a billionaire and I want to be like that. And as you get older and you start working, you realize, oh, it's going to take, um, especially if you don't come from a family that can put you on their place, it's going to take grit and um, education and trial and error to get to where you want to be financially, whether that's a B, an M or a thousand error, whatever that is for you. Um, but I also just to Shay, to pick up on what you were saying about you know, thinking more about the messaging versus, you know, bringing another woman down in your example. I think it's a little bit of both, too, in that mm -hmm. regard. And I think it's kind of important to know the origin story behind some things. Yeah. A lot of times people can piggyback ideas, designs, songs, anything. And we think like, oh, how original. And then <laughs> a year later, we find out they bit somebody else yeah. who's still struggling. And it's like, well, um, Again, not necessarily tearing that person down, but an origin story I think is helpful in helping um, customers be thoughtful about where they put their time, energy, and money. Mm -hmm. um, but not in the, you know, if they're putting out good stuff, like in your example, again, I, I think it's helpful to be supportive and also hope that that person is putting other people in a position to flourish um, professionally and not just like, I'm awesome and I'm going to continue to be awesome. So <laughs> exactly. How are, they, how are they spreading that around? Yeah. I think that's okay. that's a great place, I think, to transition into the interview portion. Um, so turning to Olivia, um, I'm interested in a little bit more of your backstory. Obviously, you talked about kind of what you're doing now with the brand strategy and the own your story. But, you know, where did you grow up and kind of how did you get to the place um, that you are now? So I'm originally from San Jose. I moved to San Francisco in 2001 and worked for the then mayor at the time and from a young age I thought I was going to be a politician like when somebody asked you what's the first thing you remember wanting to be when you grow up I wanted to be president I wanted to be the first woman and the first black person that was president I was like I could be both um of course Obama beat me to it on one <laughs> oh, end darn but... Obama what a guy <laughs> But um, after leaving politics, after working for the mayor, I worked on a state level um, in California and decided that politics wasn't for me. When you're a politician, you need votes. And when you need votes, you have to kiss all the babies. Mm -hmm. And I thought some babies were ugly and I didn't <laughs> want to kiss all of them. So I started working with nonprofits that were based in, in the San Francisco Bay Area that I thought could use some help in some way. I wasn't working with like United Way or Red Cross. Those are giant organizations. I was working with more 
smaller neighborhood based folks in the Bayview or East Oakland, um, families that were in vulnerable conditions. And um, I woke up one day and I'm 40 and <laughs> I'm still doing that. And like I said earlier, the workshop itself kind of evolved in time um, as I got more grounded in what I was trying to accomplish for my clients. And then I have to say like the, the Me Too movement and women feeling more powerful in a way, uh, like their voices matter and they're no longer asking permission. I think the timing for me in this workshop just worked out really well. And um, so that's why I call it a blessing. I've been doing it for a while, but it exploded as a result of women really being aggressive, looking for resources, looking to hear and share each other's stories and just wanting to be support and allies to each other. I love that. So can you tell us a little bit about um, the framework of the Own Your Story workshop and, and what the message is that you tell your participants? So the methodology that I learned uh, years ago when I went to a workshop was really focused on bringing your whole self to a conversation. So I train people in creating a personal brand story that's no longer than three minutes because the world is ADD and no one wants to hear everything you've ever done in your entire life. You start drifting off when someone's like, and then I did this and then I did that. So we just try to zero in on your inspiration point, your spark, um, whatever it was that got you on your current path and then what you're trying to achieve. And I walk folks through slides to kind of pull out those details so it humanizes you. Mm -hmm. As I said earlier, you know, like we all have a LinkedIn profile or we all have a college degree or we went to this school and we have these jobs, but what makes you different? And um, that's what I try to help people really pinpoint and acknowledge. And sometimes it can be really emotional. Yeah. When people really give themselves the time to think about, again, where they've been, where they're going and how they were initially inspired to pursue a particular job or personal development skill or whatever that is. So there have been tears at workshops. Um, there have been like, oh my gosh, I forgot that thing happened to me moment at that work at workshops too. And I'm addicted to doing it because every time I do it, it's different. The stories are different. Um, but the vibe is always amazing. And so that's why I'm willing to get on planes as often as possible and do it again. I love that. Yeah. I found like going to the girl boss rally and I know you had mentioned during that workshop, it was a sort of shorter, more truncated version of the full workshop that you do. But even with the shorter amount of time, it was, it was real. I, I really enjoyed the framework of having kind of the three part inspiration inflection point, have some very specific details and then asking for something at the end, I thought was so it's it seems so simple but it's so important of like if you're going through this three minute exercise of telling someone about yourself like what are you asking for are you asking for a job are you asking for followers you kind of alluded to it when we first started recording and Shay and I have talked about this with the podcast like obviously this isn't our full-time job and but you know we take it really seriously and we want it to be high quality and we approach people who we don't know who we've never met and you know there is a tendency to downplay it and be like, ah, oh, it's just a side project, like whatever, when you're meeting someone and talking about it. But it's like, no, when you're explaining it and explaining why the podcast is important and where it came from, you should also have that piece at the end of what you're asking people for. So I really thought I really liked the sort of three prong approach. I thought it was really nice and digestible. Um, I did wonder, though, how you kind of came to be at the Girl Boss Rally. You had kind of alluded to it at the end of the 
pro- the process of mm-hmm. you know how much grit that took but I found that to be particularly inspirational and I actually texted Shay who also does workshops and stuff and I was like oh my god you're <laughs> not gonna believe this woman she's on stage and it's amazing and she's <laughs> there were other sessions at the same time with like all these huge people and I found truly and I put this on the feedback form that your workshop was my favorite of the whole two-day event so how did that come to be that you were there in the first place thank you for saying that Maddie and I I gave a really short version of how I got there at the end like you said yeah I had an hour to do this and I was like by the way here's how I got on stage um but to give a little bit more detail so last summer sometime like in early August girl boss emailed me and asked if I wanted to be interviewed for the site and I was like how do you know who I am I'm not famous I've got 200 followers I'm not like this is not a thing even though I was a subscriber to their newsletter um I was really surprised that I got and to this day I still have no idea how they found me I eventually got on a phone call with a woman who wrote the article and she was like I don't know my editor told me to contact you and um, I was like all right so after that happened, and that became my screensaver, <laughs> I, um, I went on LinkedIn and I started requesting connections with some other leadership. And after they did that, I began to email um, a couple people in leadership once a week for about six to eight weeks. I'd have to go back. I think it was six weeks or so saying I want to be at Girlboss Rally. You already put me on your website. So you, you think I'm, I've got something to say. And they kept saying, like, yeah, you know, we're still working on finalizing the lineup. We'll get back to you. And I'm like, all right. Then I'd email again and add some other detail about the workshop. They'd ask me a little question, like, what do you do exactly? And how long will it take? And um, while I was doing that on Instagram, I kept seeing a photo of this dress by Alice and Olivia as an ad. Like, I kept seeing it. And I began to visualize myself in that dress at Girl Boss Rally. So I continued to email them. Eventually, I, my very last email to them was, if you're looking for somebody more famous, you're going to find them. I will be the least famous person speaking at your rally. I'm not an influencer, but I'm an influencer in real life. And I think women, all audiences, because I do share this with men and mixed audiences as well, but I think we need to be able to be inspired by each other's stories, the women sitting next to us, not just the woman who happened to create Rent the Runway or a museum of ice cream or whatever big new thing there is, it's amazing that they've done that, but we're not all gonna be that. And there are points of inspiration that we can find by the women, uh, if we listen to the woman, the story of the woman sitting next to us or across from us. And um, that workshop gave me the opportunity to put, you know, 150, 200 women, I don't know how many women were in that room, they were lined up against the wall. It got them an opportunity to actually talk to each other, which they hadn't done in a day and a half because they were listening to panels and things. And again, be inspired by the journeys of others that aren't as glamorous or haven't ended up as glamorous as being asked to speak all over the country or what have you. So, um, but in my last email, I said, if you're looking for somebody more famous, you'll find them. And by the way, I've been picturing myself in this dress. And their response was like within an hour after that one, like, congratulations, you can speak. So then I went on LinkedIn, stalked some people at Alice and Olivia and mm-hmm. said, guess what? I'm speaking at Girl Boss Rally and I've been visualizing myself in your dress. And um, one of their marketing people said, what's your size? Oh my gosh, and I love that. <laughs> they mailed me the dress within like a week and a half. And on Instagram, there's some pictures of it. Uh, and I mentioned, I said this much shorter, a much more condensed way. 
at Girl Boss Rally back in November. But, you know, the message to people is, to me, was if you see yourself somewhere, you see yourself on that stage, you see yourself being a successful podcaster, you see yourself being a great radio host or producer or um, stylist, whatever it is, keep going and keep pursuing it. Girl Boss wasn't telling me no. And I kept emailing and they kept saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And like, to me, that was like, well, persistence is what they're looking for. Or I'm just, you know, you know, maybe they just really weren't sure, but I didn't get a no. And I never would have gotten the yes had I not been okay with, um, you know, the, the stalls or the, the put-offs or we'll wait and see. Can't be discouraged by that stuff. I just think people should keep going. And you never know, you can get a free dress out of it. We'll see. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. that's awesome. I forgot the part about the dress, but that's awesome. And I, I'm always inspired by stories like that because I feel like we always hear them. Like I had a friend that she still works there, but she um, her dream was to work on SNL and she emailed them like obsessively for like a year. It was like a long time. And she <laughs> it was like a bunch of different people. And finally, she was, like, so annoying to them that one of the producers was like, if you come in and we give you an interview, will you stop emailing us? And she was like, yes. And then she went to the interview and she had, like, three interns with internships with them and now she works there full time. And I always thought that was, like, such an incredible thing. And it's, like, it kind of goes against what we're told, especially as women, to, like, follow the rules, follow the procedure. If they tell you no once, like stop barking up that tree but I think your story too it's really inspirational especially because you know you aren't famous and you're building this business from scratch that that's something that we could all aspire to so I found that really great yeah like I I said girl I still don't know how they found me (laughs) but um that relationship is now blossoming oh wonderful offered some free things to attendees at workshop and I'm going to be at Girlboss Rally in uh, June which will be in LA the last weekend in June I'm doing it again and Maddie you and other people that responded on that survey and have responded on my Instagram saying they loved it they loved my session that's why it worked so it's like once you do keep emailing SNL or or harassing Girlboss you got to step up like now's your chance yeah you so have being to deliver prepared, yeah so I was ex- I was thrilled by that day I was about to jump off the stage I was so excited to be there but it didn't matter if it didn't work for you and to hear you say that you really enjoyed it is is my jam thank you (laughs) so Olivia can you tell us why it's so important I think it's you you look at something like the girl boss rally which I think is so incredible but there are so many women there who do have a side hustle or they're a solopreneur or or whatever so of course we know why those people need to own their story and know their story but why does um you know mid-level cpa at a mid-level firm need to know their story a personal brand story is not necessary so i you know i earlier i said it's a three-minute speech because our presentation however you want to describe it because the world is ADD, we don't need to hear everything you've ever done. And it's not to say we're all going to give, be given a platform to speak for 30 or three minutes about mm-hmm. ourselves. What I try to convey during the workshop is it's important to be able to bring your head and your heart to any conversation. If it's 30 seconds long, if it's three minutes long, or you've got a keynote, just showing up with a, this is what I did, this is how I got there, this is my degree, this is my title, it doesn't connect me to who you are as an individual, and I'm likely to forget who you are and what mm-hmm. you're trying to achieve. 
if you're a mid-level whatever, if you've got a team underneath you and you're, you want to inspire your, your team to step up and bring their whole selves to the job and feel as passionate about the work as you do, they need to know where your inspiration comes from. Um, or if you're looking to advance in your career and you want a manager to mentor you or put you in a position where you're gaining new skills, they need to hear you say that. Um, so being afraid to ask for what you want or not being able to connect with people who are moved by the emotional story or the data story, you're really at a loss. So um, just to back up really quick, I just said emotional and the data. The story in of itself is, is it, it's important to include, like I said, the head and the heart. The head being the logical data, this is what I do, this is my background, this is my experience potentially. Um, and the head part is why that's important. So as an example with you two, you decided to create a podcast. When were you first inspired to do that? What's a podcast that you first loved? And when you, the first time you put your headphones on or your first guest, I would want to work with you to pull out those details. And then your story ends with, and the data part of it. We record once a month. These are the type of guests that we connect with. These are the stories and topics that we bring up. Um, and we're looking for introductions to these types of people. So if you're not that person, do you know anyone in your network? So again, like they're getting the who you are and why you inspired or when you were inspired, but they also know how you want to engage with them. You're not just telling them stuff just so because you want them to hear it. You want them to do something on your behalf, be a guest and or make an introduction. So now I know how to engage with you. And if you're a manager at a, at a company, if you're a lawyer, if you're, you're just starting out or you're at the end of your career and you want to mentor someone and pass on that experience or knowledge, it's in my estimation, it's important to be authentic about the origins, the highs and the lows, the challenges and the triumphs in that story as well as leave them with how to engage with you, how to ask. You send me an email, we can have coffee once a week, I could talk to you about how challenging it is being the only woman in data science at my company or whatever those things are. Um, so being able to convey that in a way where I get it is important, again, no matter how long of a timeline you have with a potential audience member and with whatever type of career you have as an entrepreneur or as someone in a, you know, nine to five, if anybody works nine to five anymore, like eight to nine, I don't know. I don't know what regular people do. <laughs> Me neither. Well, well, I can tell you as of today, I have a nine to five, but like I said, after this, there will be some after five activities happening. Um, yeah. I found like at the workshop, like I chose, cause you know, there was only so much limited time, like the story that I wrote during the thing was about the podcast and I on the episode that we had uh, I'll link back to it in the show notes where I actually read like it was kind of funny because in the smaller groups like sharing your story with the woman next to you like some people had just like very limited like bullet points as their story I wrote like furiously for like the five minute work <laughs> period and I had I still have it somewhere in my notebook of like it's a full story there so that was kind of funny so after I came back I read it on the podcast um so that was kind of the focus of that but as someone who their day job you know is being an accountant and working in finance I think it's almost harder like talking about why I started the podcast is like there's a very clear like inflection point it was like Shay and I living together like having these discussions um you know talking about millennial topics podcasting was you know two plus years ago when we started this like podcasting was becoming a bigger medium so that's easier to talk about but I did find it to your point Shay like 
I've thought about it since then, like how to apply the same framework to my job. And it's been really helpful, but it is hard to be like, you know, finance isn't a real sexy job, um, you know, for a lot of people. Are you, are you, a, are you a numbers person? I am. I am. But it's to me, it's like the reason why I wanted to like be in finance and accounting wasn't as like personal like I had to dig a little deeper to find like the personal reason why that was and I think that was really a helpful exercise for me so mm-hmm. I think it's I appreciate that Shay brought that up because I think maybe a lot of our listeners who are in that position might have been like ah, oh, this conversation's not for me I don't really have like I didn't the reason why I do my job is not because I had a hardship or because of something really fun or something that I want to talk about but I think having that framework in mind you know whether you're looking for a new job or just explaining to a new employee what you do and why you do it is really important so you know I do I share this workshop with a lot of corporate audiences these days because they pay me oh yeah I saw you were just at google um, that's very exciting (laughs) um but yeah what you both have brought up is something that they've mentioned and once we kind of go through their workshop, and again, Maddie, you got a truncated version of it, so it's, it's difficult. But Yeah, um, I want to attend the full one, so okay. <laughs> it's on my list. Coming soon. Um, there was a woman who said all her life she's been lists and piles, lists and piles. She organized her underwear drawer in rainbow order when she was a kid, where her Legos were stacked all at the same height, all color organized, and when she got to college... She found out you could you get a job in project management because it's lists and piles. Um, and she didn't have to change who she was as a result of the kind of job she was looking for. Like, oh, my God, this thing is... And now she works for a large corporation I won't name. And she continues to do that. And, um, again, like, you know, if I were to dig into you, Maddie, like, maybe finance was something your family said was safe. You can make money. It's stabilizing. Or you had your first lemonade stand and you liked being able to, you know, whatever that is, it might lend to what you're doing today. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like this full passion, which is your side hustle, your entrepreneurial job. But what you're doing on the day to day, you can build a story around that and that help you um, gain resources and allies and skills within the company that you work in now. Now that I know that this comes from a long like history of you counting your pennies and spreadsheets for your mom like whatever that is like like oh I get this this is what she's about this is what she's good at and now I can help her on this journey or she can help me on mine does that make sense yeah yeah definitely I love that so I have one last question Maddie I don't know about you I have another last one after you oh okay so I you've you've kind of already given us one or two examples, but I was wondering if you'd give us one more example of a story someone shared with you at one of your workshops that was really impactful and powerful. Yeah. One of the very first ones I did, you know, very, um, like when I started to do them more regularly, not just with clients of mine, a woman said that she started an app because she was sexually assaulted. Oh, wow. And the, the app allows women to contact their family members and friends like a little button or something that's connected to her phone that goes to an app that all her family members had on her phone like that's how it would work and she was in the beginning stages of launching it um so she's pitching investors she's looking for people to connect with but it was you know she felt like i don't think i could tell that story it's too personal or you know if i'm talking to men they're going to feel 
um, guarded and like, oh, that's too much to share. And I tell everyone, like, the actual story that you tell, you have to feel it yourself. No matter what I say, if it's not something that you feel connected to or you feel authentic or comfortable with, it's not going to work. Um, she eventually got really comfortable with her story. She shared it amongst a bigger group, and she's pitched a number of VCs with it. And I received emails later saying, you know, thank you for encouraging me to be authentic in that way. It's helped me, one, kind of heal to be able to say that. Um, and also she found some support and I'm, I'm sure she's still, you know, likely fundraising as everybody's constantly always doing, it doesn't end. Um, but I thought it was wonderful and the women in the room could connect to that. A lot yeah, of us sure. have had that experience, but to be able to create something as a result of that trauma that supports other people, that's huge. It's not like, oh, I just did this thing. Like, this is why it matters to me. And now as a result of being open about it experience the women in the room who heard that are more likely to want to hear this technology is this is what this technology means to her and um so that's one of the stories that is always stuck with me and i use as an example um, incredible. i'm grateful that that was helpful yeah, yeah wonderful that's awesome well i guess on an ending note before um we do some last minute rapid fire questions very exciting um what is next on the horizon obviously you're still doing own your story and it's growing and you're having all these opportunities but maybe a a year or two or maybe five years down the line where do you see yourself what are your goals for your business and with your brand strategy business well I talked earlier about my self-funded side hustle with the sports show um I started with that show two years ago so it's a little ahead of the workshop stuff but I'm hoping it really takes off and that I can get access to the players and the coaches and the content that I really want right now it's just I'm just a girl who's begging the A's or the Warriors to let me in their media room and sometimes I find success and sometimes I don't but I'm hoping that as my name gets out there in a way that's not necessarily related to sports but with the workshop people see that I can have a, a genuine conversation and they see the examples that I've already put up on YouTube and that door has continued to open for me. So hopefully in five years, I'll be able to, as an example, go to New York, talk to Alex Rodriguez about his marriage to JLo and caught, <laughs> and then do a workshop that night, like hit him twice, get a sports interview and then do a workshop. That is my dream life. And um, I'm putting the pieces together, crossing my fingers, but doing the work at the same time. That's awesome. That. Great. Yeah. Well, right. um, at the end of our interviews, we always do what we call the archery range, um, a series of rapid fire questions. So um, if we ask you for a favorite, <laughs> no stress, no stress. Um, <laughs> if we ask you for a favorite, it doesn't have to be like your all time favorite. It can be a, a top favorite or just whatever pops in your mind just to kind of place you further um, into the millennial spectrum and maybe give our listeners some recommendations. So sounds good. Lead sounds us good. away, Shay. Favorite childhood snack? Skittles. Good nice. answer. Have you ever, I always do this, I interject into the rapid fire. Have you ever had spicy Skittles? This is my new obsession. That sounds disgusting. Oh, they're spicy. I thought they would also be disgusting, but they're so good. So if you ever see them at the store, definitely worth a try. Um, Not to go on a Skittles tangent here, but did you know that they changed the green from the... Uh, like years ago, they now it's like a green apple and it oh. doesn't taste right. It's not a lime. Or, 
colors. Interesting. It's not the lines. So you have to go on Amazon to buy like an original box. And I got me a giant like 45 pack of original lime Skittles for Christmas. And I just bathed in it. It was amazing. That's awesome. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> Random. <laughs> uh, favorite movie? Glory. Glory stars Denzel Washington. It came out when I was a kid, and it was about African Americans fighting in the Civil War. Awesome. Favorite book? Don't get mad at me, but the Bible. No, I'm not running it's a for classic oh, no, for we a reason. Not get mad at you. We love that. <laughs> it is something I go back to on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. So. That's great. Love that. Favorite TV show? Um, the West Wing. Nice. Like the politics angle. <laughs> I can't get rid of it. Favorite place you visited that you haven't lived? It's funny that you say that. I've only lived in San Jose and San Francisco, but oh, I'm, wow. moving, I'm moving to LA in May. Oh, wow. Nice. Ah, I'm hoping to like get an eating disorder or something so I can fit in <laughs> with the women in LA. No, we'll you don't happens. need that. <laughs> uh, my favorite place is probably New York. We love New York. Yes. Park, clearly. I love it. <laughs> and I, I, if I was asked that question, I wouldn't be able to say New York because I live here. So sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, favorite. Mm, this is a hard one. I guess because we were talking about clothes before. Favorite designer or clothing brand that you really like that makes you feel confident and inspired. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's like Zara is a place where I can get a lot of cute stuff um, that's not super mainstream. Like they definitely have their, their mainstream aisles, but every now and then they'll throw in some like crazy dress or something. I'm like, oh, no one wears sequins in the daytime like I do. So I can grab this. And awesome. so they're, they're budget friendly for me and, and then also help me stand out a bit. I like it. Very cool. All right. Well, All right. I think that's it. Before we end, Olivia, can you tell people where to find you online, the social media, what you have coming up so people can sure. potentially find you? Yes, please find me. My website address is my name, oliviachristian.co. That's C-O. My Instagram is oliviachristian.co. And my email address is olivia at oliviachristian.co. So um, I'm all over the country now doing some corporate events. So, you know, the general public can attend. But over the summer, I'll be doing some tours at um, co-working spaces like The Riveter and Industrious. I'll be in New York doing uh, a workshop at Luminary, which is a co-working space for women. And I'll be putting that all on my website. So I'd love for people to follow me on Instagram or um, email me if they have opportunities. Come speak to my group or to my company. Like I've said all throughout this, I'm happy to get on a plane. I'm addicted to doing it, but I definitely want people to stay in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Olivia. This was an amazing conversation. Uh, campers, we will see you next week when we are talking with Maddie. I can't remember. Is Jenny next week? Yes. With talk about <laughs> Jenny Mainfa, therapy. who is coming on to talk about mental health and wellness. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us, 
hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.